be on the dugout. Lay some up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan. Do it for your city, true ballers understand. You gotta work together, you gotta find a way. Put your body on the line and make that play. Be on the dugout. Lay some up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Well, a pleasant good evening to all of you out there. Kia ora Kato here on the last day of the month, episode three of Beyond the Dugout. I'm Jason Gubies, aka Chopper, and as always, my co-host in this one, Damien Collins. G'day, mate. Hey. Welcome, welcome back to the O4. Yeah, it's good to be back here, but boy, man, has it got cold this week? Yeah, it did. It did drop a notch. It did drop a notch. You, you might have bought it with you. Uh, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> Something about Wellington, the temperature just drops a little bit. Man, it's been cold a few nights here this week. But you know what? During the day, though, man, it's awesome. Absolutely, mate. The sun's still out, but we are we are nearing winter, you know. But it's a, it's all year-round softball for us. It is indeed, yeah. It just continues to roll along. How good was B-Man last week? Oh, so good. And how good was that setting in front of the fire, out the back on the deck at, at uh, his house? Oh, mate, it was awesome. Yeah, Amanda looked after us with a good spread that night. So, she sure does. Uh, yeah, Usually. fantastic. It was good to get some insight uh, with Brad, though. Also, some you kind of noticed during that uh, um, podcast with with Brad that um, you know he's a real lovable guy mm. and, and a very happy man, but uh, he's got a lot of meaning as well. And you know, there's some serious moments in there, which, which was really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It, t- it took a little bit to get going as well, yep. you know. Let's, um, but uh, B man, 17 year career, he's done it all. Um, and he's not exactly um, there for his talking. He sees there for other actions. So I was just honoured to sit next to him on a different level. You know, I get to uh, have the privilege of calling him a friend now. So um, being able to sit next to him and hear those inside stories of such a, a legendary career it was yeah, it was special. Yeah, he was indeed fantastic. Unfortunately, the Warriors weren't that great last week, mate. I mean, they didn't start too well in the, in the, in the first half. The against Melbourne uh, did play better in the second half. But let's just cross our fingers for our Warriors. Well, you know, the classic Anzac Day um, test match, if you will, the Warriors Storm. Um, not going to lie, mate, I, I made it to halftime and I was asleep on the couch. <laughs> well, you're, you're not asleep, though, if you're in Penrith, the Parramatta, or South Sydney, because they're at the top of the table at the moment at the NRL. So that's uh, good to see and continued their success. We wish them all the best. Back home, though, man, Old Teodoro Rugby, the Super Rugby, that's been an outstanding season. I know they've got one more matches left uh, before they get to the big one, but uh, Crusaders Chiefs, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but who wins? Um, well, I don't care because the Hurricanes are on there. So I'm going to go, I'm going to help out the Chiefs yep. uh, because, you know, why not? Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think because the Crusaders are so dominant and have been dominant for such a long period of time, yeah. I think the Chiefs will get a lot of support. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's like uh, the Patriots in, in uh, America. Eh? Everybody cheers for the other team. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's our Crusaders. You got to tip your hat, though, man, to the Crusaders for them to be so dominant for such a long period of time. We're going to catch up. It's a program. With, yeah, it's a program. Yeah, we're going to catch up with Larry Andrews and talk a little bit about Seattle Heart. They had been dominant mm. as well. Another and, dynasty. Yeah, another dynasty for sure. I said I wouldn't talk about the Dodgers this week. Uh, I thought we we're going to skip past baseball and go straight to basketball. 
what a great idea, but uh, San Diego, Don Tricker, damn you this week. They are so good this year. Hey, don't don't damn Don. Aren't we trying to get them on at a later date? Yeah. <laughs> Love you, Don. They Keep are, up the good work. Keep beating those Dodgers. They are two and a half games back from the Dodgers at the moment, but it is, uh, it's it's going well over there, though. Um, the, the, they see, I don't know how they're doing it in the States, but they seem to have the COVID thing under control relatively around baseball and the bubbles that they've got going on, so... Good on them for, for keeping their sport going at the high level. Well, I'll tell you who's got their COVID under control, and uh, you would have been there, wouldn't you? Eden Park last week, 660. Oh, man, that was yeah. something. Uh, Not you know what? Not Pop my cherry. What? Yeah, I pop my cherry. I've, like, I've been popping my cherry every week. Have recently. you never been to a concert? First ever concert. No. I'm not going to say I'm old. I mean, like, dude, we know. Like I've, we know you're old. I've seen a few Christmases. As my first what? ever live concert, and I saved it for, for my mind, one of the best, our homegrown talent, 660. Damn. And we went early. We got yeah. there like 4.30, I think it was, for all the um, early bands. And like, I don't normally go to concerts, so I don't really into that stuff anyway. But um, uh, I love music, don't get me wrong. But every band before that was awesome as well. Sir Dave Dobbin. Bro. Oh. Oh. Sir, Dave yeah, Dobbin. sir. We exactly put some respect on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, there were some, there were some great things, and um, that was that was pretty awesome. A, a little side thing with Six Sixty. Yeah, uh, one of the members is actually my cousin. What? I know. To be fair, I've never met him. Well, we've got a big backyard here, mate. Yeah, call him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, 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 you know, I, I was talking to my dad about it. It's obviously my dad's brother's son, um, uh, Marlon Gerby's his name is, and uh, I just said we're just so happy for a success. Uh, and it's outstanding. Even though I've not, not met him, and he's he's actually a first cousin, you know. Wow. Um, but you know that's just awesome. And when I was at that concert, seeing them, just so happy to be there, Element. performing in front of so many people. I, I lost count how many high fives and hugs they gave each other. Man, crazy. Yeah, it was. It was first concert on Eden Park as well. Yeah, it was how crazy. crazy is that? I tell you what, softballers yeah. find each other, right? Yeah, I bet. it was like we went in a group about thirteen anyway. Yeah, but, but you're a pitter. Yeah, he's six foot seven. Man. Know, Everyone will find pitter. He's so good. You know why he's good? Because <laughs> he can find him. Yeah, you go to the bar. You're like, how do we find him in the mosh pit? Just look for the tall guy, yeah. right? He was wearing a red hat. It was easy to find a way back there the whole night. But yeah, we were we had ballers around us all night. It was. I bet. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I saw a lot of Instagram stories, mate. Yeah, not jealous at all. <laughs> no, it was good fun. Got to take my kids along, so uh, um, or two of them anyway. Uh, young JP got his first. He popped his cherry at that. So uh, um, yeah, it was, it was it was a real cool night. Awesome, mate. Yeah, 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 without a doubt. So that was that was good fun. Uh, you got something big coming up this week too, right? My so my Wellington Saints, I almost said the old sponsor's name then, won't be saying that on the court. Yeah, back at TSB Arena this Friday for my Wellington Saints. Uh, it'll be my fifth season with the team. Um, and I get to see the third banner hoisted as a, as a championship uh, back in tw- 2019. We weren't involved in the NBL last year, but um, I can't wait to be back in front of a packed TSB, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, just on that... Last year they didn't play, right? Is no. that correct? No, they didn't. And so now back, is the okay. season changed? Was there any changes to the to the normal format or anything like that? Uh, it's gone back to the normal. So, um, yeah, import players, uh, more local talent um, spread across, but playing for their own regions, um, you know, uh, contracted into their own, own provinces. Uh, last year was a draft. Some would say it was the best move for them. Personally, I think... Miss seeing my boys out there, but yeah. I've I've come accustomed to another dynasty called the Wellington State uh, Saints. Yeah. But um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we saw the opening weekend last weekend. It's pretty even out there. The, the the big teams are stepping up, but it's only week one. First home game. So if so, 
everyone wants to come and watch it, how, what do they do? Turn up to TSB Arena, 7pm, oh, 7.30 uh, tip-off this Friday. Uh, Tonight? Yeah, well, yeah, when people have been listening to this. Yeah. So right at the end of this podcast, get in your cars <laughs> Or listen to it at the game, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now that sounds awesome. But dude, I'm, I'm super excited because our first guest uh, here um, tonight is going to be the first female guest we've Absolutely. had on the other dugout. And for me, that's really important too um, because I've got to see our great game, uh, not just New Zealand but around the world. I see how good the athletes are on both sides of the league, male and female. And the female side of the game, man, internationally is super exciting. So to have um, arguably the best player in New Zealand at the moment here with us and the captain of the White Sox, Lara Andrews, I am excited. Absolutely, mate. Um, yeah, it's a there's a big, big game out, out in the uh, wider world for the female athletes um, in softball. Um, and this one is ex- experience at all. So I can't wait to hear the stories. I can't wait to hear the insight. Um, and we're going to, I'm sure we're going to broach a, a whole range of topics in this one, not just softball. Dude, should we get to it? Oh, absolutely. Well, let's do it, buddy. Let's go. Episode 3 of Beyond the Dugout will be none other than Sophomore of the Year from 2019, 16 years for the Sky Sports White Sox. It is the captain, it is none other than the first professional player to play in the States as well, Lara Andrews. Lara, welcome to Beyond the Dugout. Kia ora. Man, you guys pump me up right now. I'm ready to go. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Lara, man, we were talking a little bit about, uh, we're excited because you, we were thinking about, uh, we were thinking ages ago, who do we get as the first uh, female person in from the, from the New Zealand game here on Beyond the Dugout? Man, we were racking our brains, you know, who do we get, who do we get? And we're like, we just couldn't go past your name, Lara Andrews. Oh, that, you know, that's a massive compliment. Um I'm really grateful to to be even able to come along and and talk and and share about the game, but also the female perspective and and maybe some things outside of the game um, that may not be familiar to other people, um, but also just the development over the last 16 years. Um, You know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the previous fantastic female woman athletes um, before me, who I looked up to and who mentored me the whole time, who actually looked after me through a really critical period of my life, um, adolescent period, uh, th- those women there pa- paved the way, led led the way, and, and inspired me uh, to be who I am today. So, you know, I'm grateful that I can share their story um, and and kind of also package that with my experience and knowledge I've gained along the way, and to also then. Uh, deliver and, and inspire hopefully young younger players coming through I know you're already doing that for sure so thank you without a doubt well you're going to get to find out about Lara Andrews here and about her pathway she's got a really interesting beginning story uh, to her life but also then what she's achieved step by step and it's it's an interesting story Lara we're going to get to because it almost seems like you don't stop when you you go from one thing to the next to the next to the next and boy, you are focused. So before we get to how you got focused and how, how you're amazing with just, I mean, the storyline of your life is phenomenal. Where did life start? More here, queer. What's your heritage? Uh, kia ora koutou katoa. Uh, ko Taranaki Taku Maunga. Ko Te Atiawa Taku Awa. Ko Taipuru Noi Taku Marae. Ko Hamua Taku Hapu. Ko Ngāti Rua Noi Taku Iwi. Uh, ko Lara Andrews Ahau. Um, I'm fortunate enough to come from 
a mixed background. My father is Rarotongan in Māori and my, my mum is Pākehā. So I have uh, a range of experiences as a young person growing up. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be raised by my grandparents at a young age, uh, but also raised by my mum and my dad and, and my aunties and uncles and cousins and, and the rest of it. So, um, you know, I was surrounded by love as a young person. I was surrounded by a lot of inspirational adults in my life, um, some of which succeeded athletically early, um, and I was quite fortunate to be able to experience it through them, watch them on the world stage. Um, you know, Michael Campbell, uh, he's he's my cousin, um, watching him and being on his float in the Wellington Centre when he had his parade. Oh, wicked. Uh, wow. that, that there, as a young 14-year-old, was, was huge for me. I was like, yo, this is where I want to be, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is where I want to go. Um, my he cousin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, my cousin Anna Andrews, she played for the Shakers with Irene Van Dyke um, back when I was in primary school. Went to all their trainings, went to their uh, poster, um, sleepyhead poster um, sessions where they were getting all their photos taken. Went to all their trainings, waited e- after every game for her to do all this, their uh, sign all their autographs. Mm-hmm. Sitting in the stands, waiting to her, hurry up, man! I want to go home. I'm hungry, you know. <laughs> watching her be famous, and and you know, and also my father, very involved in, in rugby. Um, I was always on the pitch. I was always kicking the ball, um, and so I guess just being in all those environments as a young person um, really gave me the the vision. Um, and then it was the the development over time of the skill and and also the people around me in softball that really gave me that motivation to continue playing playing ball. So you talk about the the fourteen on year old on the float, the nine year old at the sleepyhead uh, ads. Uh, did you have the vision then? Did was it the passion? Uh, did that spark the Lara Andrews that we see now? Was it was it started back then? It gave me a real insight into understanding what being an athlete really is. Mm. Um, it gave me an understanding of of the behind the scenes work ethic. Um, I know she was shooting every night in the rain. Uh, rain, wow. rain or shine, she she shot a hundred balls every day, and if she missed, she was sprinting up and down the driveway. And then there was me, you know, I couldn't even reach the hoop. Um, <laughs> and she, you know, I was just annoying, really. Yeah. Uh, she'd say, "Okay, you got to go get ten, um, and and if you miss, you got to do ten push-ups." Um, and so, I really learned really quickly what what it really takes from from that vision there, looking out the window, watching her shoot in the rain, to then watching her signing autographs after the game. And just really understood kind of the full package of the lifestyle. And uh, as a kid that was, I wanted to be a silver fern. Um, I knew that. Uh, then I played netball and I wasn't even that good. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yeah. uh, then, then my goal really shifted to, I wanted to wear the fern. Um, and softball gave me that opportunity, so I ran with it. Absolutely, it did. And it's given you the opportunity from, like you've been in the system quite a while, though. So when did softball really... Bring you in? When, when was that? Was that was that in the early ages? Early ages when you were well, like the early club you started with? Who was that? And what age were you? Yeah, I started playing uh, for Hutt City United mm-hmm. when I was nine. I played on my sister's team. Yeah, she didn't have enough players. <laughs> wait, um, wait, wait a minute. Your sister's like how many years older than you? Five years older. <laughs> six years older. Um, she was playing under fifteens. Yeah, and you were I was nine. Nine. <laughs> I jumped Sorry on, about it. Yeah, yep. yeah, jumped on uh, right field, mm. uh, number nine hitter, uh, <laughs> and I played played ball that one day, and I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I hit the ball. 
Nice. Never touched a softball bat before and I hit the ball. Um, and there's no better feeling than hitting the ball. And, and I think that, that contagious want for more, yeah. that contagious need for that feeling um, just really fueled me to, to continue. Um, I was 12 years old when I made the New Zealand under-16 squad. Yeah. Uh, what to the travel. heck? Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I met Katrina Stockford at that time. Um, she was 13 and I was 12. Yeah. Everybody else was 15. Um, I was an intermediate. And I didn't make that team. Uh, and at that time, I was real gutted. You know, I was real gutted. I was like, man, I'm not good enough. Or it really um, affected me. Yeah. And I thought, nah, I'm going to make the next team. I, I want to really do this, you know. And so from, from 12 to 15... It was three years between that junior or the under sixteen New Zealand squad mm-hmm. to making the New Zealand women's White Sox. Wow, that's insane! <laughs> that's that crazy. is insane. Uh, um, any interesting stories there? Being a young one coming through the grades, we had, we had a good one from uh, uh, a good buddy of mine. I talked to the beer team a while ago, Nathan Nukunuku. He told me he made like a rep team. I forget what he was. He might have been ten or something like that. And they asked him to put the put the uh, kettle on to make a cup of tea. And he's like, I didn't even know how to do a kettle, so he turned it on. There was no water in it. <laughs> so is there any kind of like funny things being the young one and and playing amongst all those older kids? Yeah, yeah. So um, so we were staying in Trentham at the um, Trentham Army Camp for our squad trial, and Katrina and I had obviously met because we were we were very very young, mm-hmm. and nobody else wanted to hang out with us. <laughs> um, and we were in the dining hall. We had a feed. We came out, and her and I decided to jump in the bushes and scare everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so while all the girls are walking past, we're jumping out going, rah, rah, cracking up, jumping back in, rah. Um, and, and to be honest, uh, Katrina and I have been very, very close friends and we call each other sisters uh, ever since and oh, um, have been on the journey, um, on and off the journey together the whole time. So it's, a, it's a really amazing how softball can be that platform for you. Um mm-hmm. One to be an egg, um, <laughs> to, you know. Uh, two to to experience um, things that you might not experience, you know, in any other platform. Um, but three to have some friends and some bonds that you um, have forever. Absolutely. And I'm ever f- forever grateful for that friendship. Do you get the feeling that? Lara and Katrina were just like rat bags growing up. <laughs> Twelve and thirteen, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right a buck. No wonder uh, no one talked to them. <laughs> and like, I don't know how you older girls find this so hard. And they're like, boom. <laughs> I've been doing it a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. Um, who were uh, some of your um, influential either players or coaches coming up through those early age groups and, and club club softball or representative softball? Um, firstly, it was um, Millie, Melissa Upu at that time. Oh, now, wow. um, Melissa Tapuival, who is now our uh, assistant coach. She was, she, she was gangster, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember because I was an outfielder mm-hmm. my whole life, um, my whole career pretty much until I went to America. Um, and so she was my idol, uh, you know, partly because she was on the Minty's ad. Uh, on TV, she's uh, famous. <laughs> so I was like, "Yo, she's mean." Like, she's Do you get free minties? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so I started out at Hut City United, um, and you know, you know, to be fair, we probably came last every year. Um, there were a few players that came from South Africa that came on our team, right. um, and they were really key for me at that age because they would pick me up. Um, yeah, you nice. know, and, and take me to games and drop me off. Um, 
at this time my granddad passed away when I was 13 and and it was just me and my nana so in terms of my ability to get to places was really restricted um so they were massive mentors in that respect because they took me to all my games took me to all the functions you know we went to the bar after the games um you know I was only 13 14 having a beer and, and having a good time you know um back in, in those days it was it was okay down at bedrocks <laughs> it was a different time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, bedrocks so so they were real critical at that period and yeah. then um then then Hutt City United didn't have a women's team in 2005 mm-hmm. um and then that was my opportunity then to to think about where I wanted to go yeah. um and there was no other club that I was really allowed to go to other than Te Aroha Softball. Um, mm-hmm. I remember as a young kid walking in Hut City United gear at tournaments and, you know, TA comes with a large whānau support system. Yeah, and, it does. Yes. And, <laughs> and I used to walk past them and they used to say, Lara, bub, when are you going to come back to your whānau club? When are you going <laughs> to come back to your club? Because um, I went to Waifatu Kohanga oh. with, a oh, lot of yeah. the, um, with a lot of the girls, you yeah. know, Okawa and Dinah. Um, and, you know, Cindy Portai and that all worked there. So they knew me since I was in, in Kohanga. So mm-hmm. it was a massive connection there. And so when when I was able to transfer clubs, that, that naturally was, was the club to go to. Um, and, and thankfully at that time, um, Mike Walsh was the coach. Uh, he was also the coach of the New Zealand White Sox. Yep. Uh, and, and the whole Te Aroha team, literally nine, ten players were all White Sox members. Um, so as a young 15-year-old, I had to step up um, to, to be accepted um, was the first thing. Um, and to be respected was, was what my, my drive was. Uh, but, you know, I'm pretty blonde and, and I'm pretty ditzy. And, and so <laughs> they just mocked me the whole time and, um, and they challenged me as well. So not only did I look up to Melissa, Melissa and those players, but, um, you know, Cindy and Z and... Ma and Nards and Povey, I can rattle them all off. Um, I got to play alongside them, and actually, it was the playing alongside them that really helped me to understand who they were as people. Um, because as ballers, you know, we ball out, we go hard. Yeah. Um, but as people, we we we're quite different people off the diamond, and and I learned about that dynamic during that phase of my career. Um, and, and it was those players who taught me how to ball out. Ballers ball. Mm. And off the diamond with Fano, yeah. and then that was that was really a good learning for me. Man, you've had some good people around you. Oh, you yeah. know, you talk about your your Fano, uh, you know, just at home, but then your athletic Fano, and now you're talking about some of these amazing uh, female athletes. Let alone one of the greatest coaches that have coached New Zealand, Mike Walsh, as well. Man, that's pretty mm. awesome. Yeah, and then you add in, you know, um, that 2005 was my first year of playing NFC. And then uh, all of a sudden, then I was exposed to Naomi Shaw um, as a coach, um, and Kitty Shaw playing alongside Kitty, and a bunch of players in the from other Hutt Valley um, club teams. Uh, then again, a whole bunch more uh, awesome female role models around me, yeah. uh, and then again another extension to the Fano. Let's not forget here: you're 15, you're turning 16 years old at this stage too, right? Yes. It was yeah in July. Yeah, two thousand and five. Wow. I mean, it's uh, it's phenomenal. So you you had a you you had a good uh, club nationals too. Your very first one, right? Um, yes, oh, Te Aroha won the club nationals in two thousand five. Yes, 
you played the um, final. You, I mean, you were a youngster, right? Yeah, yeah. I played the final for NFC that year. Uh, NFC, yep. yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I saw too before, yeah, yes. yeah. But NFC, you got to play the final. As a youngster coming into that squad, um, what was that like? How were you feeling at your first NFC final uh, at such a young age? Oh man, I remember our uniform. I remember how my my helmet. Um, I had a blue helmet. A blue with helmet. A blue playing. helmet. <laughs> with a white and green uniform, with a smiley face emoji on the front. <laughs> you can do that when you're 15, yeah, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And then when you turn your head on the back, there was about 20. Emoji smiley faces on the back. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was. Um, I pretty much went in with no real expectations. Um, I think I at that time I, it was what have I got to lose yeah. mentality. Um, I was grateful that my role was very specific. I was left field. Mm-hmm. My role was to catch the ball, throw it in. Um, I'm the last line of defence. Whatever that ball does. You've got to stop it, um, and that's that was it. That was it. And then so when that winning run was on third base, this is in the final. You're talking in the about, final, right? yeah. yeah. Um, and and I got that fly ball over my head. I took three steps back, came onto that ball, caught it, threw it home to Kitty. Boom! She tagged her out, got her out, and um, I, I I remember that so clearly. And, and I think it was that play that really changed the, the trajectory of my life. Well, of course, uh, not only did you win a national title um, for Hutt Valley on that one, which will go on to be a dynasty of national titles. We're going to get to that a little bit later too. It's phenomenal the number you've got championships because you've won pretty much everything, to be fair. Um, but that did later on give you the big call-up. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I give credit to, to the team. Um, the team was a, a fantastic team um, and I was just one piece of that puzzle and um, because the team was so solid um, and, and the coach had a, a great approach, strategic approach, it made my job easy and, and I was quite, you know, always when you get a moment in any sport and any, any opportunity in your life, when that moment comes, you've got to capitalise on that mm. moment. Mm. And sometimes it doesn't pull off, nine times out of ten. But, I, you know, for that day it pulled off. And um, I didn't realise that how big of a deal that was. I was just, I was just like, yeah, got her up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hit it to me again, yeah, you know, yeah. real keen. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that I was at my nana's house and my dad was there and phone rang, landline. Yep. Answered and dad's talking and he says, oh, Lara, it's for you. I heard, who is it? Um, it's Mike Walsh, head coach of the White Sox. He wants to talk to you. And I said, ah, I don't want to talk to him. And I ran out. The house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to talk to him. See ya. <laughs> no, no, I ran out the house, ran out the front. I think you're the only person uh, in the history to run away <laughs> from a national coach ringing you to put you on the team. <laughs> but, but that's the great thing about a landline. You can run away from it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he um, convinced me to come back, and 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 then I jumped on the phone, and and Mike Walsh asked me to be a member of the New Zealand White Sox to go on tour to Japan. Wow! And I said, Oh, I don't even have a passport. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure, I'll go. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, yeah. I don't, I didn't really think too much about it. Um, I was really nervous about leaving the country w- without my family. Um, 
there were more logistical worries than there were softball worries. Um, in in terms of softball, you know, it's pretty. You just you just play. Yep. At that point, um, it was more the outside things that I really struggled with the most. Like I like to go to bed early, and mm-hmm. you know, certain types of food and and yep. all of that. Yeah. Um. So the food that Nan makes, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> like the boil up, you know, oh. the toasted sandwiches. Now Chopper's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is 2005. Uh, was it was it funded back then, or did you have to fundraise to go, or how did that? How, what was what, what did that look like back then? Yeah. So um, actually, that's a really good question. So back then, uh, we were fully funded. Um, I was then became a carded athlete mm-hmm. in high performance, so had access to, free access to gyms and um, physical therapy and awesome. um, PT and. All the perks at that age. Uh, we used to go to NZIS and, and have all of our trainings up there at, at the Caketon back then. Um, and we had all the support, one-on-one support and group support for training. So that was great. Um, of course, only five years prior to that, the White Sox went to the Olympics. So our team was right there right? Um, at the, around that period. So many great athletes. So yeah, that was great to hear. Yeah, that was 2000. Yeah. yeah. So that was great. That was a great la- launching point for us. And, um, when we went on tour, I remember um, we were getting selected to come into the coaches or managers' room, at one at a time or something. Mm-hmm. And I walked in the room, and and he says, uh, "Pick a glove, pick a bat, pick some batting gloves that fit you, pick a helmet. There's some stickers there. You know, put your stickers on." Where's the emojis? And I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember my eyes were huge, yeah. and I was like. I'm going to get a glove with a fern stitched in it. Oh, wow. Um, Because I always had the hand-me-down stuff. I never had my own bat. I never Mm -hmm. had my own glove. never had batting gloves, you know. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there really was the pinnacle at that age to be able to get some free gears. Um, Not only free gears, but worth New Zealand on it. Um, That that was a moment I always talk to the young kids about. Um, Then it's shifted uh, after the... Olympic qualifier for Beijing. Um, then we started to lose funding and, and things started to cost a little bit more mm-hmm. or a lot more, really. Yeah. You're, um, when you look at, uh, um, I guess, that era of being funded, which is which is awesome, but um, what does that give the team and what opportunities does it give you as an athlete? Like you talked about being carded and stuff. Could you focus more on the sport then or, or can you still focus the same amount now? Uh, it gave you the professionalism, gave you the tools to understand your body, um, understand how to lift properly, um, how to do certain movements, what what body muscles and parts are important for softball, how we can trigger speed, um, you know, and we were really challenged a lot. Um, you know, we were expected to be there four times a week. Um, down at Petoni Rec or wherever we were, and we had a trainer there putting down our numbers, keeping us accountable, and we were constantly trying to beat our personal scores, um, whether it was in the pool or running. Um, I guess now not, and, and then also having the support if you got an injury or pulled a muscle, it was no issue. You go in, you get your service, you get support, and then you leave, um, and you go do your homework. Now we we don't really have that access. Those who have money might. Mm. Um, or might those who might have the network yeah. might be able to pick up a few um, PT sessions here mm. and there. Um, it's not consistent, you know. You're not working as a team. Mm. Um, 
and so it's much harder to to keep everybody accountable in that in that um, space. I do want to say though, with um, Coach Roman, um, he's really valued uh, having a, a program for us all um, moving forward. Mm-hmm. So as of last year, he's been working really hard with Sheesh um, at AUT. Yep. And, and trying to create a, a platform for our next generation coming through. So it's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, but the 10 years in between that, uh, it was a real struggle financially to, one, support yourself, yep. um, but two, to fundraise and spend a lot of that time to to get that 8K every every two years mm. that we needed to, to compete. And to be fair, some of the best players sometimes were left home. Um, so you know you, you're you're given a mixed bag when you go to a world champs or mm, to a mm-hmm. national tournament, international yep. tournament, um, and you're introducing yourself to somebody and saying, "Hi, I'm Lara. What's your name?" Um, yeah. And you're at the airport yeah. in, in China. You yeah, know. Lara, with that um, that focus back then of sports science, all the, all the breaking down the fundamentals and everything. How big of an advantage is that in sport? Let's be honest. Oh, it's huge. You know, your body is your greatest tool, um, and so is your mind. And if we can, if we have the ability to develop those in any pl- way or form, you're getting an advantage. I know that internationally, all those big teams, USA, Aussie, Japan, they're all on on programs, yeah. um, and we need to be too. Yeah. Uh, when when my journey in America, we did it three times a week for an hour and a half to two hours, um, and and it's constant. Constantly developing your muscles, constantly getting stronger, constantly getting faster fiber twitches, constantly getting faster, constantly, constantly. And then it becomes a lifestyle. Uh, for us, it's so ad hoc. It's a choice. Yeah. Um, and and f- for some of us who have children and, and other things and work, and it just is, is really hard to continue and keep it up. Just want to ask one question on that. Two thousand and five, when you went to uh, to Japan as a youngster, as fifteen years old, yeah. was it sixteen by then? Whatever it was, um, who who was out of the team? Who was like someone that you just kind of like idolised that was on the squad at the time? You know, coming at such a young age. Uh, Fiona Tamu was the captain at that time. She was phenomenal, right? Uh, I believe she was number three, mm. um, which was my number, um, and she was my roommate. Oh, perfect. Oh, wow. um, and what did she tell you? You know, she she's a lovely person. Um, and that's what I found. The, the most, the coolest part was that she was cool. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but she was a gangster baller. And she balled out. She smashed the ball. She, you know, watching her play. But off the diamond, I could have a conversation and we could relate. Nice. Um, I remember her... Telling me, you know, it's easy to make the team. The hard part is staying on the mm, team. Mm, mm. Um, and I and I thought about that a lot about uh, how actually difficult it is to to continue to beat yourself over and over and over again. And you know, now that I look back, sixteen years, I'm still trying to beat myself and be better. Um, with the approach that, you know, I want to leave this program. New Zealand program better than what I was when I got here, and so I need some young kids to come up and beat me, and then I know I've done my job and I've done my duty, and the program's in a better direction and 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 hopefully in a better place. Nice. Do you feel it's a duty? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a responsibility. Nice. Um, it's a lifestyle. It's constant and never stops. 
um, and I'm, you know, Bex and I and Kyla um, are probably the last, and, and Katrina, mm-hmm. probably the last few that have the stories and the learnings and the lessons that those older players have gifted us with. Yep. And it is our responsibility to continue that history while also adding a new flavour and a new way um, of doing things so that the program continues to grow and develop over time. Ah, fantastic. Well, those early years, I'm going to get on to your university um, shortly because it's a real big part of this podcast in my mind anyway, especially for the youth that are coming through, or female youth coming through, to see the opportunities to play in the States. But those early years, you were five years in the White Sox uh, before going to the state, what stands out for you in that five-year period? Good question. Um, you know, the the most pinnacle part of my career um, was after that Japan tour. I went a bit haywire. Um, it was really hard being a fifteen-year-old and being expected to uphold the New Zealand fern while also trying to be a fifteen-year-old. Yeah. On and off the diamond. And I don't think that there was real value in in teaching me from the, the you know not blaming anybody in terms of the organisation or the support system from High Performance or, or from Sport New Zealand to teach me to understand what that really meant. And so, as a kid, I made a few mistakes, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realise that I still wore the fern when I went to a party with my mates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that pressure um, and that expectation from the fern that I probably put on myself um, led me away from the game a little bit yep. and led me towards other things, outlets to um, soften the blow a bit. And so in, when I was 16, I ended up, um, I think it was 2007, when we got back from the Junior World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, I I took a year off. I wanted to focus on my academics. Um, that's what I said. <laughs> uh, but to be fair, it was probably an escape yeah. from the pressure. Um, Just being in it all the time. And the expectation yeah. to continue to be better and to continue to represent the fern at a, at a what I might say, at an adult expectation mm-hmm. was that on yourself or was that placed on you like i mean i know you've you've made the fern at 15 16 years old and that's a huge achievement in anyone's books but was that pressure on you or was that from other people um i would say both yep. um society really started to check me why are you doing that you're a new zealand athlete yep. why are you going here why are you hanging out with these people that's not mm. That's not New Zealand athlete what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, so externally as well as internally, I knew I wasn't really doing it justice at that time. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so I gave it up for a year, and what I actually did was I made myself ineligible for the New Zealand White Sox mm-hmm. to go to the Beijing Olympics, the qualifier. Because at that time you had to play NFC yep. to be eligible mm-hmm. to play. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't play NFC. Yeah. And so I saw those girls go away and I thought to myself, I should have been there. 
and I wasn't there. And it was that moment that I told myself that I'm never going to let the system or anybody stop me from doing what I want to do. And then that really motivated me to become the best player that I can be physically, mentally, um, skill-wise, hitting, fielding, the best that I can be for myself so that any opportunity I have, I want to be the one that decides that I don't want to do it. Um, And so from there, from 2008, I graduated high school um, and then started to explore the scholarships in America. So I needed to kind of get away from this environment in order for me to reevaluate my values, uh, reevaluate what I really wanted to be and who I wanted to be, and um, to, to, to flourish to be the best player that I could be. Laura, listening to you here, um, you, uh, you check yourself a lot. You know, you, you hold yourself accountable. Do you, do you, are you fair on yourself? I'm probably my hardest critic, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And when you don't agree with yourself, what do you do about it then? I've got I've had to go through some periods of um, learning to forgive myself for, you know, uh, decisions that have been made or, or actions that have been done that I don't agree with. Um, otherwise, you know, it just eats you inside. Yeah. 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 I guess it's you just have a lot on your shoulders when you represent an entire code. When you're the face of a program, um, you know, people are watching you all the time and there's no off switch and that's that's the hardest part, I think, is being okay yeah. with not having that off switch and being okay with it being your lifestyle. And if you're okay with that and you're confident in that, then it's, it's okay, you can do it. But if you're half pie, you're half in, you're half out or... You want to be in the New Zealand White Sox, but you want to go and do other things. That's when that that line becomes blurred, and and you know, for me, it I wanted to do the best. Um, and and a lot of it is for those older players. You know, they they invested a lot of time into me, and so it's important that I do the right thing. Um, you know, you're not always going to do the right thing all the time. Yeah. You know, Superwoman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so you've got to learn from, I, I guess the key thing that I've learned over the years is to, one, um, apologise to those you might have hurt uh, or affected, and then to learn from that and try to not do that again. Really? You're really interesting, Lara. I've got to be honest with you, just listening to you now, uh, and, and, I mean, I, and I just want to be honest about how what I could see and, and the way that you... Um, keep yourself honest, uh, and you've. You know, we're, we're only just starting in your story, to be fair. But you've done a lot up until this stage, and and by this age, you're only like eighteen or something like that, right? 18. Uh, years of age, um, pretty phenomenal thinking, um, uh, pretty powerful as well. So I commend you on that, uh, without a doubt. And it's great to understand uh, a little bit about you, uh, and and it probably makes a lot of sense with a lot of the things that are going to come in your life, um, and I can see them starting at that younger age and what you were doing with yourself, so that's kind of interesting. Let's, let's get on to um, the, moving to the States and getting the scholarship opportunity. How did that come about? And, and uh, I mean, first was high school, right, before university? Yes, so um, graduated high school, 
Um, and, and through high school, to be fair, I played every sport. Senior basketball, senior netball, badminton. I did cross country my whole career. Um, it, it just happened that softball softball gave me more opportunities. So I I kind of just continued to play softball more and then started to drop off with other sports. Um, I did. I ended up doing quite well at school uh, at Sacred Heart at that time. I, I started at Nine College and, and then I got moved to Sacred Heart and um, that really helped my direction and, and the academic side of things. I was working full-time, entering data into a database for seven hours a day mm-hmm. in Wellington City. As well as school? Uh, just finished school oh, at that time, yeah, so it was right. my first full-time job. Nice. Uh, 20 bucks an hour or something back in back in 08, 09, which yeah. was heaps. That's lots. <laughs> um, played rugby, uh, gave rugby a go for Petoni. Um, at that time, you know, my dad never let me play rugby um, until I was 18 and I got the choice. So, you know, straight into it, yeah. play rugby. <laughs> um, 2009 was a big year for us, uh, for softball. Um, so we had won, um, I believe, the club nationals back then. Yep. Um, what do you mean? I think we won, you won like three in a row. It was a three, <laughs> but you won in seven, eight and nine, as well as your first one back in five. That was the NFC. And then you won uh, clubs in 2005, and then seven and nine as well. I mean, yeah. boy. So that was a big year. And, yeah. and also that year, um, our Tearoha team actually went over to the state champs in Australia, um, our club team, state nice. champs, yeah. and we won it. Did you? Yeah, we wow. won it. Um, and, and Sorry that, about that. I was that, was, uh, that was fantastic. And so I guess even though I had a really boring job that I was grateful for to pay the bills, mm. I had these awesome wins – with softball that that kept me distracted from life, um, gave me a whānau and a group of friends, um, and then also winning is contagious. When you win, you just want to keep winning, and it fuels the soul. It, it motivates you to just keep wanting that winning feeling. Um, so that, that softball in that period was really critical. Anyway, um, I had a really bad day, and I went to work, and I, I don't. I was going through some stuff personally, and and um, I wrote down on a piece of paper, what am I good at? And I wrote down two things: softball and school. And in this time, Google was just starting to be around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Weird to say that. Yeah. Um, so I googled naturally. Yeah. What do you do with softball in school? And scholarships came up in America. Um. So I created my own CV. I called it a player CV. I wrote down. Um, the championships and the uh, experience in the New Zealand teams. Yep. Um, I took got my sister to take a video of me at High Tai Tai on a flip phone. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was sitting up on the like second to highest part of the uh, grandstand. Yeah, and she videoed me on this flip phone, <laughs> and like I'm an in end. left field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's videoing me hitting. Anyway, so I started to package it together. Um, sent the videos and the CV around to a whole bunch of universities in America. Um, and coaches were like, which one are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> and it was the whole game, so it must have been super boring. Oh. Um, and then uh, I actually got a bite back from Jacksonville University in Mississippi. They were keen to have me come over. Um, however, they uh, had a junior college that they, they wanted to recommend me to first yep. to see me play. And then there was a commitment then 
see after more the junior than the flip college. Phone evidence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they wanted to see if I was actually legit or not. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, and then so yeah, that was Itawamba Community College in Tupelo, Mississippi, where Elvis was born. Um, and so they offered me, I think it was like a thousand dollars back then, and and for the year it was two and a half thousand for junior college. Yeah. Um, and so I sold my car. So, you know, sold everything I had, packed my two bags. My nana and my dad took me to the airport. And I remember thinking, I don't even know if I'm going to see you guys again. <laughs> you know, I don't even really know where I'm going. Um, got, got on the plane. Yep. Went to a place I'd never been. Met, went, went to a school I'd never seen. Played for a coach I'd never met. Wow. And... and uh Apart from just that initial stuff, it's amazing what you did, how to get there, uh, and then the, the travel, man. Once you hit the ground and you met those people, what was it like? First thing, I got off the aeroplane and I hugged my coach, and he kind of <laughs> pulled back on me. Yeah, yeah. He found it really weird that I hugged him. Yeah. And that was the... There was no COVID in those days, so hugs are okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he did the kind of awkward pat on the back one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and I knew straight away that I was not in New Zealand anymore. Yeah. Um, it was straight away was a cultural shock. Um, once I met the people and we drove from the airport, I was buzzing out because I was on the wrong side of the car and, yeah. you know, all of that kind <laughs> what, of What, you want stuff. me to drive? <laughs> <laughs> I was tired. Um, I had $250 in my back pocket and um, I, I questioned that first night. I I'd cried. Myself to sleep, pretty much, but I was just exhausted, so yeah. I guess I slept. Yeah, and I bet you that's common. Eh? Yeah, it's like, a jet lag. That first day, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the first, yeah, yeah. would have been. Yeah, we're good. We're good. and this is a time when we didn't have, um, you know, you had to have a calling card to call home. That's right. So you had to actually go somewhere to get the calling card, and then you had to find a phone to actually call off of, and you know, it was like a dollar a minute. No free, yeah. no free FaceTime back then. No. No yeah. FaceTime. <laughs> no. <laughs> No laptop. <laughs> uh-huh. Just uh, a Nokia phone, probably. But once you'd got over that first initial, let's call it grounding period, if you like, how did you find being at that uh, in that location and playing? Um, straight away, went to ball the next day. Nice, um, perfect. Very, com- <laughs> very comfortable. Yeah. I was. Um, I felt like we couldn't speak. We spoke English, but we spoke different English. Yeah. So. When we bought out, we were all speaking the same language. So straight away I was able to speak with them in terms of my actions and my skills and my ability. Um, I found very quickly that I was I was a little bit older than, so I was 20, and they were all around 18, mm-hmm. just coming out of high school. And the difference with the American system is you only ever play with your age grade. There's hardly ever an opportunity to play up. Mm-hmm. So my advantage was that I was a 20-year-old one, but I knew the game because I had played with women mm-hmm. and I had played at a high level. So my knowledge and strate- strategy around playing and approaching the game was much more mature. Um, and so that was my opportunity there to lead um, and to share and to engage with them. They were very... Fundamentally, they had 100 reps, 200 reps of swinging every day since yeah. they were 12. Mm, so mm. technically, they were mature. 
strategically I was mature. So yeah. it was really around ma- managing that balance it, it straight away. Um, in terms of schooling, schooling was quite easy, uh, relatively easy high school kind of level. Um, and then it was really adjusting to the food because everybody was like, try this, try this, try this fried ice cream, try this fried everything. And I was like, yo, keenies. And then like within three months, I couldn't even fit any of the clothes that I brought over from New Zealand. So yeah. And then it snowed. Um, and I was like, holy, I don't even have a jacket, you know, um, and, and just walking in the snow and, being, I didn't have gloves. I didn't have anything really. I was very unprepared at that time. Um, so that that change of weather experience too was another cultural shock. And then, and then spending that Christmas in Mississippi, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for the family who, um, who had me mm-hmm. and looked after me during that time. Um, but it was so hard to to not be home. Yeah, through yeah. that period. That first stop you're at. Um What's something you'll take away from from being there? That was for me the best stepping stone from a small island to a small community in Mississippi. Mm. Exposing myself to the American culture, language, food, and and level of ball, and then that there that platform there gave me. I got all A's. I hit like six hundred in <laughs> the state champs. And that those two things there, and my knowledge of the system, gave me the platform to go to wherever I wanted to go. I was very, very recruitable after that tournament. Well, you did get recruited, of course. You went on to the University of Delaware after that. How did that come about? And that's a Division One college too. I tell you this story. You're going to buzz out. <laughs> so I made the New Zealand team mm-hmm. to go to um, Argentina and Venezuela the World Cup 2010. Yep, yep. Naomi called, Naomi called me and said, you know, name on the team, blah, blah, Cool. It was May, and we were going away in July. Right. Mal Gettings was in New York mm. at Iona University. Mm. So I called um, Mal. She also was named in the team. Hey, um, how are you training? What are you doing up there for training between now and in July. Mm. She was like, oh, I've got a couple of teammates up here, but I'm just going to do stuff myself. And I was like, do you have a spare bed if I come up there and um, fly up there and hang out with you and, and we can train together for a few months and we can fly to Argentina together? Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, 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 come. Don't have a spare bed, you can sleep with me. So I was like, okay, sweet. So she actually took me in um, for, I guess in total it was five months. Oh, hell. Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I ended up being an overstayer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm really grateful for Mal for that yeah. um, at that time. And so Mal and I were throwing a ball out in the turf at, the, at her university. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that her coach had, was walking past with a sandwich, just going to get lunch. Yeah, yeah. And her coach says to me, who are you? I said, oh, I'm Lara. I'm from New Zealand. And she goes, oh, I'll keep throwing the ball. And she goes, give me the bat. And she goes, I'm going to hit you some balls. So she starts hitting me balls. Mm. Can you play infield too? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to play wherever she starts hitting me balls and she goes, can you hit? I was like, I think so. Um, so she started throwing me balls and she goes, I'm going to offer you a scholarship. No. What? Yeah. I love these stories. Yeah. What? And I was like, oh, no, no, i got to go back to uh, Mississippi because I'm there for another year. Yeah. No, 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 you're not going back there. 
Right. No, no. no that ain't happening, girl. Yeah. Damn. Um, so she wanted me to sign a contract to go to Iona mm-hmm. in New York, um, in New Rochelle. And I said, I can't afford to pay. You had to put a deposit down for the housing. I can't afford it. We're just paying for Venezuela. It was $8,000. My family fundraised. Like I've, I don't have any money. I can't pay it. Mm. Sort it out when I get back. Mm. Go to World Champs. Have a fantastic tournament. Yeah. Have a great time. We, I think we came 12th, though. It wasn't really successful. This, this is the one in Venezuela. Yes. Yeah, that was another. Incredible. Wolf, eh? Cultural experience. Yeah. Um, came back and, and you know, I was expecting a scholarship store at Iona. Um, she says to me, Meet me not on campus. And I was like, oh, no, she's not going to, you know, she's yeah, bailing on this. Yeah. Um, and she says to me, I have I'm got an opportunity to coach at the University of Delaware. I want to continue to offer you that full scholarship, but at the University of Delaware, will you come with me? And I was like, sure, where's Delaware? <laughs> <laughs> So then we Googled it. We yeah. Googled Delaware, had yeah. a look. Um, it was Division One. It was a top academic school. Uh, and I really liked the coach. She was cool. Yeah. Um, she and, really liked you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, she was really impressed. Yeah. Um, at that time, I had my criteria was Division One, full scholarship. And um, I wanted to make sure that I had a coach that if I went to the hospital, that I knew that that coach, when I opened my eyes, that coach would be there. Mm-hmm. That was very important to me. Yeah. And then if I went to jail <laughs> <laughs> and I called my coach, she'd come pick me up. <laughs> Did you write this as a list? You had to like, yeah. these are the things I need you to do for me. These were my, these, those, those yeah. were my criteria. And as soon as the person offered me that opportunity, mm-hmm. which Jamie did, to go to De- Delaware, easy decision, yes. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. And then wow. on my 21st birthday, um, I was hungover as Mel took me out to New York and, and, and carried me home. Yeah. Um, the next day I got in the car with our mate and um, she drove me down to Delaware from New York. It was a couple of hours. Walked around the university. I remember looking, like, blinking real big. Mm. And looking, going, is this really the university I'm going to go to? <laughs> like, Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful buildings, beautiful pillars, big red Bricks, um, green grass, like it just, honestly, it was like Disneyland. And I thought to myself, I can't believe that I'm going to go to this university. So it actually took those couple of steps, those courageous steps to go over to Mississippi to challenge myself to to, um, be uncomfortable and to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And, And it was that hard work at that time that got me that opportunity to go to Division One to, to actually do something that I had dreamed of. But sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. Wow. Right place, right time. Hey, sister, you've got to spare bed, man. I'm going to come train with you for a couple of months. I'm going to stay for five, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, you know, what do you reckon? And then, hello, throw the ball around. Wow. She didn't even finish a turkey sandwich. What's going no, on? No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mind-blowing. Wicked. Awesome. From from couch to you know to a dorm, yeah, with free food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner buffets. 
to, to Division One education. I'd be the crazy. Best, I'd be as big as a box. Free food. <laughs> Let's be honest. To be fair, I am already as big as a box. <laughs> I'm, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're only up to her twenty first, mate. Sorry. I know it's phenomenal, what? isn't it? Uh, to be fair, though, uh, that university was uh, one of, as you mentioned, Division One. You were there for the full slate of those years, and you paid them back in dividends, man. You were MVP in 2011, 2013, all-conference tournament team of those two years as well. I mean, you really turned it on its head. Oh, man, I just lapped it up. I had the trainers, the best trainers training me, I had the best physios working on my injuries. I had the platform and the opportunity and the resources to do whatever I needed. If I wanted to go hit for two hours, there was a person there that was paid to pitch balls to me. And I just lapped that up. Working. And I took it. I was there first, helped set up training. Mm. I was there last, helped pack down, do extras all the time. I just, like, that was... The time and the motivation. I just wanted to be the best, and because it was all there and it was all easy, and it was all—it's not easy. You put in the hard work there, <laughs> a lot of but, work. but you've got the opportunity. Is what yeah. you're trying to say, right? Yeah. yeah, like like the in terms of easy. I meant like the facility. Yeah, we had our own batting cages with our own machines, with our own ball pen pitches, mm. with our own. We had our own stadium. If I wanted someone to hit me 100 ground balls, all I had to do was text and be there, ready to go. And that person was there. Boom, 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 boom. And it was just like, is a softball is heaven, really. Yeah, hard. Yeah, it was. Talk, talk about that that time at university there. What What is uh, life like as a student athlete? Like, what, what did your day look like? Okay, typical day. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays were mostly the same. Mm-hmm. So 5, 5.15, 5.20 pickup. Me mates, get down to the locker room, get changed, strength and conditioning, quarter to six, six o'clock. Uh, weights from six to seven, maybe seven thirty, and then seven thirty to eight, eight quarter past eight. Running, conditioning, sprints, suicides, all of that stuff. Um, so, so to interrupt you, did that day start in the dark? Yes. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. But we're, the, we're not even up to breakfast. <laughs> what? Wow! Yeah, carry on. Yeah, yeah. So you go there. For, you catch the university shuttle, mm. which is all free, straight to the dining halls. You choose your dining halls. There's six of them, and each of them have a different menu, so you can Google and find the one you want. Yeah, chicken nuggets or whatever. Just one dining hall chopper. Just, <laughs> yeah, one, just dining one. Yeah, dining hall. Um, straight from there, you got classes. You usually start around nine o'clock. Nine to one thirty, two o'clock. You're in class. One to the next to the next. Have some lunch in that time. Down to the locker room. Back down to the sports complex. Locker room two thirty. Um, training starts three thirty. So you've got you've got to be down at the field three o'clock. Set it all up. All the balls. All the everything that needs to come out of the locker room. Um, and then you train three thirty to six thirty, and you know pack down time. Um, and, about half an hour after that, then you get back on the shuttle straight down to the dining hall for dinner, and then you got study hall from seven thirty to nine thirty. So that's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Wow. Tuesday and Thursday, slightly different, maybe different focuses. Maybe have individual sessions for two hours. Um, we always did a three mile run on a Tuesday and a Thursday. 
um, and it's always timed. And then we would do live live hitting Tuesday, Thursday. And then Saturday, Sunday, you always play two games and one game on Sunday. Wicked, man. That sounds like a life, doesn't yeah, it? absolutely. But, how, you know, with all the study all packed into that, you know, how do you fit it all in? You have to become a professional organiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you really do. And and that's probably one of my greatest strengths, to be fair. Um, always planning ahead. Always, always got the calendar out. Always trying to plan um, and schedule study time first so that when you go out with your mates, go bowling or whatever you wanted to do in the afternoon, you were actually present in the moment because you knew you had already done your study beforehand. Yeah. And a lot of my friends didn't do that. <laughs> procrastinate, <laughs> procrastinate. Yeah. Then they'll come out and the whole so time they're out. Stress out. Yeah, yeah, they're just stressing about their assignment that they haven't done. Yeah. Um, get it done early. I was two weeks ahead on my assignments, send it into the teacher, get edits, bring it back, make more edits, send it back, you know. So I was always trying to be proactive in that space because, you know, in the States, if you don't perform academically, you don't train and you don't get on the bus. Well, there you go. It's Lara Andrews here on Beyond the Dugout. Sky Sports White Sox captain. Talking about her international career, but now obviously playing a Division One softball in the United States. Well, Lara, obviously the opportunity to play at a prestigious uh, college like uh, the University of Delaware was awesome, but it also you know, gave you an opportunity to extend uh, your education, and you chose a pathway in a Bachelor of Arts in Human Development and Family Science. Why? Um, so I changed my major three times. thought I wanted to be a police officer, mm-hmm. and then I realised that I didn't know anything about the American uh, police system at all, and it would be no use here. Mm. Uh, secondly, I moved over to uh, communications because I... Um, thought maybe I could do some speaking, something like, like that. Um, that didn't work out. And so I took this one class, uh, Diversity and Family Studies, uh, Dr. Bahira Trask, and I was glued to her the whole time she spoke. I was very engaged. She spoke about families. She spoke about divorce rates, marriage, the history of marriage, um, and, and just the, the pursuit for people to constantly have that perfect family with the white picket fence and the um you know the dog and and that kind of thing and for me coming from um a slightly different type of family um, a Maori family raised by a village it really intrigued me to learn more about how a human develops over time and how family plays a critical role in that development over time um and so human development is like womb to tomb so from, mm-hmm. from birth to death mm-hmm. um, and how each family, each phase of the lifespan um, is, is critical to, to that child's development. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty impressive stuff for sure. But you didn't rest there because you didn't just get your, uh, your degree, you continued to educate yourself, didn't you? What happened? Yep, so um, I went in to go see my professor one day and uh, she said to me, hey, have you thought about getting a master's degree? I said, no, not really, actually. She said, oh, Isn't that yeah. something you play when you're over 35? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, no, not really. Eh? I was planning on going home, yeah. uh, coming home. And uh, she said, oh, we should apply. Uh, the deadline's tonight at midnight. No way. <laughs> what? Literally. So I walked out the office and 
I walked home and I thought to myself, oh, I've got six hours, why not apply? So I did. Mm. I wrote my, my cover letter. I said, oh, I'll refer to this teacher and this teacher for my reference. Um, there was a, there was a uh, box you got to tick to pay your deposit. And then there was a box underneath that that said, it'll come in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so I took that box. Yeah. Uh, never paid. Um, and then, yeah, and wrote my story for 11.59. And submitted my application. Didn't really think too much of it. About three or four weeks later, got a letter to sales accepted to do a master's degree um, in human development and family science. At that same time, I was also asked to try out for the Pennsylvania Rebellion yeah. Um, in, yeah. in Pittsburgh, yep. um, which I was, you know, had a friend to take me out there, seven-hour drive. I was so nervous, so nervous. It was an individual tryout because um, I couldn't attend the proper tryout because I was going to the World Champs, which was in Netherlands, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... Um, Went to my my individual trial, and they had the batting machine on like a hundred and twenty, or it felt like a hundred and twenty. Couldn't even see the thing. I felt like I missed the ball every time, and so the trial ended up being about three hours. And um, they signed me. They signed me to play for the Rebellion in the US Pro League. And when they signed me, they said to me, "You know, you're the first New Zealand yeah. female player to ever go pro." in the United States to play in the National Fastball Pro, Fast Pitch Pro League. Um, and I just said, I was like, one, I was like, can't believe you're offering me this. And then two, to know that, you know, we I had possibly broken the glass ceiling for any other Kiwi to ever play yeah. in, in that. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. First ever Kiwi to play in the professional league in the United States. And just, I mean, I know you, you were obviously studying still at the same time. What, what yeah. was that like uh, playing? Because now you're playing with ladies that you hadn't met before after being the last four years with basically your team, right? Starting from scratch again. Yeah. You know, I was like that 12-year-old in that under-16 squad. These were women who had been playing in the league for some of them for five years, some mm. of them for seven. Yeah. Very established, went to some very dominating schools, universities, well-known um, so I, I lapped it up, to be fair. I didn't expect anything. I didn't expect to play. Um, I was just grateful to be there, grateful to have the name on the on the back, um, grateful to, to be representing our country on a platform like that in one of the best leagues in the world, um, and, and grateful to be able to promote my journey through social media for all of these little hoary kids in New Zealand, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, to to watch yeah. and to see, you know, just like I was when I was watching my cousin Anna, you know, I, I was watching her. And so I got to provide a platform for our kids to watch what it's like to be a US professional softball player. And, like, the playing part didn't really matter. Um. I guess one key thing that I got from that experience was it was the first time I was on the bench. Never really been on the bench, and I was the bench player. I played 12 games in, in three months. I think overall we played about 57 games or something. Yeah. So I had to learn to be a bench player, and that was really tough yeah. mentally. Yeah. Um, at that time, I was also um, got the call up from Naomi to lead and captain the New Zealand White Sox in the Netherlands. Mm. 
Um, and so I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm a bench player and um, you know, she's got a lot of um, confidence in me to lead this team. How am I going to lead this team? You know, start thinking critically about that. And I realised actually I actually now can be a better leader because for the first time in any of my leadership roles, I actually know what my teammates are feeling. I know what they're going through. I know the mental toughness of what it takes to be a bench player, which is a very critical role. Yeah. And I always overlooked it. Mm. Um, so that pro league experience gave me the understanding and the tools to be hopefully a better leader from, from that and to really embrace and engage the bench players and to, to help them have a role, like you were saying earlier. Give them a role. Give yep. them a purpose. Yep. Give them an understanding that what they're doing is really critical to how the team ultimately performs over time. And so not only was it in front of the cameras and, it, you know, the, the league was really a business model, um, it took away. It's a very different ball game when, when it comes to money. You know, if you had a home run, you get a bonus and um, you do a chocolate ad and, a, and an ice cream ad and, <laughs> and you do some, you know, kind of do little perky things along the side. And, and so it became more than softball. Um, and that's probably the part I didn't like the most. Was yeah. there, there wasn't really that love of the game. Yeah, they love the game, but yes. it, it changed the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and then the best part now with that journey is um, hearing little eight, nine, ten-year-old kids saying, "I want to go pro." Mm. Yeah, you huh? know, and it's real to them. Yeah, yeah. Seeing, seeing is believing. They seen me do it, so they. They don't think twice now. That's that's where they want to be. That's where they want to go. That's their goal and that's their their reality. Mm. Just on that, before I can talk about the rest of your White Sox career here, um, your advice um, to, to young female athletes uh, that are coming through, I guess, high school here in New Zealand, they're at that age group where they have an opportunity to start thinking about going on a scholarship to the States and then what else that could present them while they're there, what would the advice be from you? Uh, I know that there's um, three or four players over there now that are local players and I often give them a lot of advice whether or not they like it or not um, <laughs> <laughs> they tend to roll their eyes now um, is that it's hard Yeah, it's very very hard and you know you, you've got to fail a lot you go and fail a lot and, and you've got to fail a lot and you've got to just get back up and keep grinding, and keep tuning. Um, it doesn't get easier from here. The, the higher you go, the more competitive you go, the better softball you play, you've you got to continue to develop and continue to learn. Um, so don't be afraid of failure, and use that failure to fuel yourself to grow and develop to be better every time. Nice, nice. That's, that sounds good advice to me, Daniel. Absolutely. Well, um, back to the socks because we've kind of obviously dominated with that uh, with the the university. Just just with the socks, of course, you've been on so many tours, like twelve international tours now. And as you mentioned, you've been a captain for a fair hunk of time since uh, two thousand and fourteen. Um, what what's been for you the thing that you love about the most about being in the White Sox? What I love about the most. <laughs> I love representing our small country and putting it 
on the stage internationally around the whole world and making sure people never forget who we are and that we are warriors and that we'll never give up like that I just I'm so I just so believe that as Kiwis we haven't had the best success internationally for a little while now and I still know that those those international teams they know that they have to play their best game no matter what because we'll always find a way to do something to disrupt somebody in, in one way or another. So I, I just love representing our country. I, I just have so much pride in it. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, when you play ball and the pitcher's about to pitch that pitch, you ain't thinking about nothing else other than this ball better not crush my face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just very... For the five seconds when that ball was released to the catcher catching that ball, you need to be present in the moment. And it is an art to be able to be present and relax. And present and relax. And if you can get a whole team present in that one moment, it is such a, the most beautiful feeling you will ever feel. It's, it's just that one team, one sound type vibe. And um, I, I just get that. The giddies off of, of my teammates, they they pump me up, um, that environment, and then also that addiction to that feeling of success. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and I, look, your, your career is so long, it's really hard to, 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 to pinpoint it, to be honest with you. But if there was a couple of highlight moments in there, you personally, but also team-wise, what would they be to you? Yeah, the, one of the big ones for me as a leader um, was 2014 in Netherlands. Um, we, to make it brief, we were pretty much told that we needed to become top eight in order for the program to continue. Mm, mm. Really? That's um, a lot of pressure. Yeah, and I was supposed to lead this team knowing that um, without them knowing. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot on the line in, in, in the sense that it was slightly a chance that that pr- the program may not be continuing due to a number of things, and mm. so um, that year we played it against Chinese Taipei, and at the, on the last game, and in that last game we needed to win to make the top eight. And I remember it so clearly that it was the seventh inning, and and they had a runner on three, and we were up by one, and I think Jen was pitching or someone was pitching, and and it. You know, it was two strikes, and we just needed this one batter, and the whole world stopped for me, because I I just had it was that, moment. that feeling that we had achieved the goal to continue the program, and that was huge. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, that was that was massive, and I don't even know to this day if the girls really understand what was at stake at that at that tournament. Um, and it was a really rough one too because it was raining heaps and heaps of delays and we were <laughs> sleeping in the locker room and all sorts of things were happening yeah. um, at the time. But we pulled it off. Nice. That is that is phenomenal. I mean, under that amount of pressure on the world stage um, and Chinese Taipei, tell, what's up with Chinese Taipei and New Zealand? It's oh. like you two have <laughs> like got it out for each other or something. Is that It's what it looks like. They're like the mouldy version of the Asians. 
you know, yeah. shorter, stumpier, yep. stronger, you know, <laughs> brown. They are strong, <laughs> hey? They look strong. Yeah. Um, oh, I think these just rivals are all over the place and, yeah. and it doesn't matter really what team um, we face. It's, it's always a battle out there. I believe there was some sort of thing that stemmed from the juniors in the previous year with Chinese Taipei right. and, and then the junior Chinese Taipei brought that into the women's game because uh, I didn't really know much about what was happening at that yeah. time. No. I remember it was like 2018, they threw the salt thing, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And uh, But just watching you guys play each other, um, I mean, it's, there's plenty of respect amongst both teams. I can see that. Uh, it stands out a mile. But you can see both teams lift so much when you play each other. That must be cool. Yeah, hard out. You know, that passion and desire and... and you know, any time anybody disrespects the fern, uh, it brings a, another side out of out of all of us Kiwis, and in, in that sense, and you could you could feel the fire burning um, in the team, and and, it, and my job really at that time was to uh, bring the group together and make sure that we use that fire to motivate and to, to in a positive way, um, and not to. Uh, Get too pumped, over pumped up, and and over, over try. I guess. Um, so you know, some of those moments we can get really pumped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to stay <laughs> balanced, though. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, and calm, calm it down a yep. little bit. Yep. Yeah. Any other big uh, highlights kind of stick out in your mind so far? I know you still got a lot of highlight moments to come in your career. Don't get me wrong, but any other ones stick out? Uh, yeah, probably the qualifier at the uh, at the in China. In Shanghai? Uh, t- 2019 in yeah. Shanghai, China. Yeah. Um, that was the Olympic qualifier for 2020. And um, we were we were having a good game against China, 5-2, five, five I oh, believe. Yeah. And, and then um, obviously lost it at the end there. Uh, but, you know, that tournament for me, uh, my dream's always been to be at the Olympics, uh, to compete at the Olympics. Um, and, and so the build-up for me was about eight years to, to that point, to that tournament. I was trying to ensure that I was the best version of me for myself, for my family and for my team. And um, so that commitment was a long time. And so to be there, to be present, to enjoy the anthems, to see the crowd, it was pumping, it was mm, vibing, to yeah. literally be in China um will be something that I will never forget and um and, and mainly that last play probably uh the tiebreaker against Philippines um and the that, double double play yeah that game was phenomenal look, look I, I've watched plenty of your matches uh over the years but uh that one on person the game against the Philippines man that was top shelf without a doubt one of the best games I think I've seen the White Sox play yeah it's a heartbreaker you know when you when you train eight years and you get to a to a tiebreaker, um, to be fair, can go any way. Yeah, it sure could have. Yeah, yeah. We had the advantage. Um, a decision was made. We didn't pull it off. Yeah, one of the things that I'd take away um, from Shanghai, as you so rightly put it, was an Olympic qualifier. There was like six or so teams that were there, and uh, all you had to do was win that tournament, and you would have realised that dream and gone to the Olympics. You're that that close. The closest I think you could ever actually get in in your career as an athlete 
one game, one out, mm. one moment away. Yeah. And when you build up, you know, if you think back to 2009, at that 10 years for me taking that step to go to the States, that was that was the step for me to get to that point, you know, and it's not a short journey for for some people and, yep. you know, 10 years to get to there, mm. that close and not make it. Yep. Um, is an achievement in itself. Yeah, disappointing one in 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 one way. Um, but definitely blessed and grateful and thankful to to have been there, um, and to have have led the team in that position. Won't touch too much on the Olympics, um, but Australia win that qualifier. They'll go go forward. Uh, in Tokyo, and I believe it's only about ninety-five days away now. It's exciting uh, to come. Australia, will you be backing them? Who will you be? Who will you be rooting for at the Olympics? Oh, I've got a lot of friends across the board. Yeah, you do, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tough one. Um, you know, the, the ladies over there across the ditch. Um, we probably have a close relationship with due to the the amount of um, competition we play yeah. with each other. Yeah. Um, you, you always want your mates to do well, um, and so I, I probably have more individuals that I would uh, vote for more so than than yeah. a country. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know, always back in Aussie in, in that sense to do it for for down under. Yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, we know the powers of the states and uh, and Japan, um, but there's a couple knocking on the door. You never know. Australia gets on a run, gets himself in a good position. Lefty on the hill there. Uh, or, or the young uh, pitcher as well, the Aboriginal girl, you know, whether they've got, if they have a good day, you never know, man. You just never know, right? Australia beat the United States in Sydney back in 2000. It can happen. Yeah, absolutely. It can go anyway, and that's the, the greatest thing about softball. Yeah. Really is. Yeah. It'd be, yeah, it'd be cool to see someone like Stacey Porter, right, standing on the podium with a gold medal. I mean, yeah. an athlete like that, Indigenous lady, I mean, that'd be. You know, she's like you, you ladies. She's a wahine tour. You know, it'd be awesome to be something, see something like that. But I'm not saying there's not plenty of those internationally anyway. But she's amazing. Oh, she's she's yeah, she's an idol hard. You know, yeah. hashtag idol. Um, you know, Aussie Aussie earned the right to be there. They played and competed at the qualifier, um, and and earned their role and position there. Um, and so if they can continue that. From the qualifier to, to the Olympics, they have the possibility of earning their right to that podium. Um, so yeah, good luck to them. Yeah. I will be watching, you know, um, and, and jealousy um, and admiration. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I do feel bad for the, some of the athletes because they've had a disruption in their in their process um, with COVID and, it, you know, I give tip my hat to some of those athletes cause it's a stop, start, stop, start mm. process, build ups and then nothing. And then build ups and nothing. Um, I know Canada and, and US and, and mm. Italy are all, all going through the same experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. but to be fair, after this Olympics is going to be a drop off. You know, there's going to be a lot of athletes who, who tie their boots up. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe an opportunity for us, mm-hmm. Um, to sneak in there somewhere, uh, and to and to build up our program to you know um, to to compete against some of those programs with fresh blood, uh, that that could be our our gap or our loophole nice. for us. So if well, we just continue on our journey, uh, 
who knows what we can do uh, in the next uh, 2026 Olympic qualifier. I know our fingers are crossed for you, Lara, and the uh, Sky Sport White Sox team under uh, Roman Gabriel. And toes. Uh, and the toes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, as you guys uh, set out a platform and march your way forward to the next Olympics. And we know there's a gap in one, but uh, the one after that, we believe, it should make it in. I want to move on to now uh, just a little bit something kind of, it's related to softball, but just sport in general. Um, you're doing your doctorate and it's Fano in sports, but you're also uh, involved with this uh, new direction that Softball New Zealand has just joined Balance is Better. Yeah, so Balance is Better is the New Zealand um, National Youth Sports Framework. Um, it's a model based around uh, system change, which is which is needed in, in New Zealand in sports, specifically with younger people. And it's with the, the theory and mentality um, that, you know, not focusing on winning as an outcome, focusing on skill development and fun, um, not uh, specialising too early for, for our young people, giving um, our young people the opportunity to play multiple sports as a young age is the best thing for them. Um, and that um, child success early does not lead to uh, future success as an adult. Um, so those are the three main uh, myths of, of the program and it's really focused on child at the centre and ensuring that the sports system is a place for young people to develop holistically. Lara, is this, is this because things have changed, you know, are the way that children relate to things these days different than what it was, say, back in Damien's era? <laughs> what era is that? <laughs> uh, eight years older than you. <laughs> um, it's really, really that the the needs of the participant has changed right. over time. Yep. Um, you know, uh, young people are choosing to um, not sign up to long seasons. They kind of want short seasons. They want to play with their friends, um, and they're more interested in more modified, short versions that are quick and fun, uh, where more people can participate. It, that's that's what young people are telling Sport New Zealand, and um, the system needs to adjust to the needs of the young people because um, participants across the board, across all co codes. Have been decreasing. Um, it's not like the population's gone down. The population's still going up, right? Yeah. yeah. More options. Yep. So we've seen a couple of increases in some codes in the last three or five years, mm -hmm. um, mainly around basketball and and women's rugby. That's yep. increased. Yep. Um, but across the board, there's there's a lot of struggling codes out there, and and we all have to make those changes. And I'm really, really happy to see softball getting on that list, committing to that commitment to put children first. Um, and their development at the heart of the decisions that are made um, for them um, alongside, uh, I believe, 15 other codes. So it's good for us to be uh, present with those bigger codes like uh, rugby and, and netball and, and football and, them and, 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 and you know, committing to those same commitments as them and being on board. Now the, the other question and the hard part is how do we make those changes? Yeah, well, look, from me personally as a parent, and I have three children, as you know, uh, they're all growing up a bit more than the beginning stages. But at the beginning stages, I was, I mean, I was a good coach, but I was a terrible parent uh, when it came around sport, to be fair. And uh, the car ride home or the, 
remarks from the sideline. Why aren't you doing that? Get your head down or back up first base or whatever the case was. You know, I, to be honest with you, I was being I was being a dickhead the whole time. <laughs> you know, I genuine be- genuinely believe that parents want the best for their children. Yeah. And sometimes the sports environment can bring out the worst. And purely because you love them, you're passionate, and you want them to do the right thing, and you know you, you genuinely think your instructions are good instructions. Mm. Um, but I guess some sometimes uh, parents can be over involved, uh, and often and sometimes under involved, not yeah. involved at all. Yeah. And what the research is actually showing is that higher involved parents and lower involved parents, on average. Um, are leading to children having lower confidence in themselves. And so that's actually doing the opposite of what our parents are intending on doing. Yeah. And when you have children who have lower confidence in themselves and lower self-esteem, um, that leads to lack of mental well-being. That leads to possibly dropping out. Might lead to uh, too much stress and pressure from parents and then could lead to injuries and and so on and so forth, Mm. which at the end is not the outcome that the parent wants anyway. No, you're always wanting the best for them. Mm. The breaking point for me was I got a couple of feedbacks from a couple of friends of mine and I read a bit of information as well, some studies and things, and I'm like, that makes sense. That must be so – I for once put myself in the kid's shoe and looked at it from their perspective and like that it must feel so bad for them and – like I'm happy to say these days, you know, I, I leave them to it. And and what you were just saying before, this is what triggered it to me, was um, giving kids confidence to make a decision. That's exactly what I do with my own personal kids now, and I try to do it for the kids that I coach, is I'll give them some tools, but then I'll want them or allow them to make the decisions. Whether it be right or wrong, or good or bad, it's still their decisions. They'll learn from it and grow and come up with a solution themselves, you know. Yeah, you're totally bang on. And the other thing I would recommend too is is actually having a conversation with your children. A lot of parents don't have a conversation. They don't ask, "Do you even want me to coach?" Yeah. Do you yeah. even want nah. Do you even want me there? <laughs> um, um, some very simple questions that yeah. a lot of parents just assume that they want that their kids want them there all the time. Yeah. You know, um, so opening that dialogue with them. What does what What do I do that you don't like? You know, what kind of behaviour would you like me to display when we're out in public in a sports environment? And really open up that conversation. They might say, oh, no, it's all good. Mm. Then then you kind of know that your parental involvement level is okay. But it might not be okay when they're 14. It might be okay when they're 12. And so the, the key part about the research is that parent involvement in sport is fluid. So at certain ages of the lifespan, your involvement may be required, and then there might be moments where they'd prefer no involvement, and then they might want your involvement again in a later age. So it's just being getting checked at multiple phases of the lifespan and ensuring that the involvement that you think that you should give is equal to what the child actually desires and wants. I need to take you to Auckland. So I got this one mate up there, Craig Fuller. <laughs> oh my God, he needs your help and he needs it now. The guy, I d- we have so many heated debates along this topic sometimes. But, you know, and it's interesting. But they're good, they're always good conversations, to be fair, because we, just like you, you were saying, we're trying to find the best outcome for them, but their way. 
Yeah, and um, so the research that I'm conducting is based on a New Zealand sample from 2017 and 2019 from 77,000 households matching parents and children. And so this research will look at parent volunteering on a scale from highly involved, so you're a coach or you're on the board or an assistant coach, to kind of medium involvement, which is, you know, you're a manager or you might be there all the time as a fan, and then down to the not involved level. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at all of those levels and how it actually affects mental development, how it affects child's physical development, their competence, their confidence and their motivation. And so from this study, we'll be able to have some really hard facts on what roles parents play and how it directly affects children's mental, physical and and, and social-emotional development. And so from there, that'll really be the platform for, uh, you know, looking into other things. So maybe there might be different associations among Māori families, among Pacifica families, among Pākehā and, and Asian families. And we might be able to cater some of our Swart New Zealand education models in the future to those specific um, ethnicities. Mm-hmm. It may also be social economic status that might play a role. So, you know, wealthier families might be more involved Yep. Purely because of their situation, and and those uh, those who um, you know the opposite. So the research will really be a fundamental baseline for parent volunteering in sports across all codes in New Zealand, and will give us the insights that we need. And I think as parents, if you can have a bit of facts alongside some quotes from children, we can really maybe shift behaviour um, at at the field or on the diamond. Um, through through some of those real real statistics, I just remember the car ride home video. It was these kids. The whole video were kids talking about. I hate it when they do this on the whatever blah blah blah. And <laughs> it was all kids, man, and just resonated with me. So yeah, I understand that fully. That's that sounds like some phenomenal work you're doing. Yeah, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm really excited to be able to contribute to possible real change. Um, to to possible real emphasis on the Fano and how the Fano can be a support system for young people. You know, the sports system lets kids down. You know, they might get an injury, they might get burned out, um, they might have a bad coach, they might get bullied. You know, there's all sorts of things that could happen in the sports realm. Yeah. And so, if we can empower the household to support young people's development, and and then we also educate our um, organisations, we're on track to actually building a community of young people who are well-rounded, good, confident, motivated, competent kids. And at the end of the day, that's that's what parents really, truly want. I don't know about you, Zayman, but I want to be more, round, more well-rounded <laughs> and motivated person now, just <laughs> listening to this. Yeah, I'm taking a lot of lessons from today's, <laughs> today's <laughs> for sure. Uh, fantastic. Well, Lara, outstanding. I mean, your career is uh, by no means done. You've still got a lot of softball in you. The way you're playing uh, the sport and haven't rattled off all of your accolades because the list is so many, so many MVPs, batting titles domestically when you're in the States. Uh, I mean, just outstanding in the work you've been able to do, getting yourself just to college to start with and then making the opportunity to get into Division One. But then taking it with both hands, you know, it's it's really a, a story that's worth talking about and worth learning about. And I think uh, hopefully we've helped to do that today for, for you and, and for all your fans. 
No, you know, I, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to share the message, to deliver the story. Um, you know, I, I I don't want this to feel like it's a, a solo adventure. Um, there's a lot of people along the journey who I would love to be able to shout out to who have supported me, who have fed me, who have given me a bed, who have guided me, who have picked me up. You know, it, it really does take a village to, to help any person become a, a successful person. So... Just wanted to take a moment to just shout out to all all those people and and um you know who you are and and it really meant a lot to me and um you know I couldn't have done it without that support and that guidance so I'm really grateful for that um I hope that from this any young person that's um you know has a dream just understands that being in the right place at the right time could be could be it um putting in the hard yards. And, and being in, um, and performing in that moment, all it takes is one moment to, to help you get to where you want to be. So um, make sure that when that moment comes, you're ready and you're going to take that with two hands. Um, and softball's taught me so much about life. And I, I think if I didn't have softball, there, there would be a, a different path for me and, and I probably wouldn't have um, the education um, all the all the accolades that I would have without this game. So uh, I'm grateful for the game, and and grateful for those who who taught me um, to respect the game and and gave me the platform to perform the game that I love. Um, and then and then just shout out, I guess, to my partner and kids and yeah. family for um, putting up with me. <laughs> Uh, you know, when you come home a champion, you can be a little bit of a dick. So. <laughs> uh, for all those moments, um, you know, I come home from a tournament and, and the groceries are in the fridge and the house work's done and, you know, you can't do it without that. So no, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Very cool, Lauren, Lauren, your partner. But the two kids, Cruz and uh, Tava. Are you using some of the study that you've put together and helping them with their sport? <laughs> How do you find that as a parent? Oh, man, it's hard, man. It <laughs> oh, welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> a parent coaching is probably one of the hardest things. Um, you know, I, I have to check myself. You know, to be to be honest with you, I've had a couple of moments with Cruz. Um, but, I, you know, afterwards I have to reflect and, and have to, chat with him and, and obviously apologise for maybe uh, getting at him. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, I try to be fair um, and I love I love seeing them both grow and develop and love the game. Nice. Um, and make friends and learn about their bodies and, and, and gain confidence and um, just really enjoy – successful moments like hitting hitting a home run or catching a fly ball those things seeing your kids do that I actually the weird thing is I actually feel the same feeling that I feel when I make a play and that is that to me has been a, a, a really eye-opening experience yeah. yeah when my son hit that home run I've Felt the exact same feeling that I feel when I had a home run, <laughs> yeah, awesome. and I never felt that before, yeah. and that that um, that stuck with me, and and so I can see the value in coaching, um, and and also I can understand how why you want to um, you know maybe be a bit over involved at times just because you you want them to to be the best version of themselves, 
Um, but really they've got to want to be the best version of themselves in order for them to achieve anything in their life. Lucky mama's been <laughs> studying this for years and years. She's <laughs> going to get it down pack for you. Don't worry Absolutely. about it. <laughs> well, fingers crossed, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I've just got some some questions sent oh. through for you if, you if you're up for answering some. Yeah. Okay. First one is, uh, why can't our females play in Aussie instead of all trying to get the scholarships in US? Is that even an option? I don't believe so. No? I don't believe so. A lot of the um, Aussie players actually go to America mm-hmm. and play. Um, I believe they have the similar model to us with the club model, um, not the university model like they do in the States. Uh, to be fair, everybody goes to America. If you want to be the best, you go, you go to America and you compete. Yeah. Awesome. The introduction of uh, the Summer Smash and uh, Fastball 45. Oh man, love it. Yeah. Love the new versions of the game. Uh, challenged me yeah. mentally to think differently, uh, to strate- strategize differently, um, keep you on your toes, really. It, it, it's a game that both of the games are very fast paced. It's like you're on like steroids or something for 30 minutes or 40 minutes because it's yeah. just 100% the whole time. And um, it really, I think, for some people and for myself, really spark that love of the game again um and definitely the best promo yeah. you know young people in my family and people who never watched softball were watching fast 45 and for me any opportunity to promote the game um is a good opportunity awesome when did you start rolling up the sleeves oh <laughs> <laughs> i think i always and has caitlin copping you <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> Um, I always have, eh? Feel, oh, you know, I've got big shoulders, got it from my dad. Um, just Shot feels J. uncomfortable yeah. with, you know, chafing and... Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, you've got to get the guns out. <laughs> That's the one, <laughs> if you've got the mate chop. Yeah. Okay, now you said they threw me out of the bus. Before you goes <laughs> on to the next question, your dad used to coach Damien at rugby. Sure did. Did your dad say anything about him? Was he good or was he bad? Or was this the ball boy story? Good, good teammate. I was a good... T- Whoa. Okay. You didn't just throw that out. Was he, <laughs> was he good or bad? What did Dad say nah, about he him? Said, he said he was good. Tell he the truth. It's okay. He said he was He was good. Good guy. <laughs> Team player, mate. Yeah. I was a captain. And lock, eh? A lock, yeah. yeah. I can always say I'm a premier captain, thanks to J.A. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, J.A. Shout out to J.A. Okay, this one's a big one. Three things you would change in the women's game over the next five years. Just three things. Um, if I had Lotto and um, <laughs> could financially support the girls for five years for that Olympic qualifier, 2026, um, I would I would make it a program where we are, we can actually focus on that as our number one job. Yep. Uh, that to me is, you know, if the girls could be paid for what they do, the ball game would shift dramatically yep. for us. It wouldn't have to be much, you know. Um, that's a really good question. Thank you, Crispy. He's a teacher, that's why. <laughs> the The game is already heading in a in a good direction with Roman, yep. um, and the vision there is is good. Uh, the resources and coaches uh, are fantastic, the best of the best. So that in itself, for me, is 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 a step in the right direction. Um. 
we're sending more and more players over to the states. That there, I would I would continue that. Um, and I and then we need to mold the White Sox program to align with the calendar year of the university system, so that when we are competing in competitions, we do we do have the ability to have those players. Um, so more players over there, and in a more structured environment for for both participants, those here and abroad, and to be able to bring people together con- continuously year by year would would only improve and expand the squad for sure. Um, the more people that go to the states, the, the the higher the level and the higher expectation of softball. Um, the more people we have with that mentality, the better the program will be. Absolutely, that's the questions. Fantastic! Oh, we're up like to the uh, last segment here, Alara. So, what we've decided to do is uh, we've done it with the guys, but I want to do it solely for the ladies. Is you get to put your coach's cap on now, and you get to select one player, and one position. For the Beyond the Dugout All World Women's Team from all all generations, all parts of the world, you get to pick one player and put him in a position. We're going to do that with every uh, female athlete or coach that comes in uh, until we fill out the roster and that. So no pressure, you're the first. No fit. Okay, so what position do I get to fill? Anyone you Guess want. What? You're first. You pick any position you like. You're and, the captain. And obviously the manager. you put a player in there. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, pitchers win ball games, so um, I'll go with the million dollar arm, Monica Abbott. Monica Abbott, who's the first yeah. um, baller to have a million dollar contract. That's right, and um, right. And you know she's a workhorse, man. I'm, I know her. Um, she played in the league, and she is a workhorse. And and I, I just think that she's. You know the bees knees and um, to compete against Japan and to shut them out the way that she does the best hitters in the world, uh, mad respect. Done. Got our first pick. Yep, there you go. go. Beyond the dugouts, a first all world woman's starting position will go to the pitcher from the United States is Monica Abbott. Nominated by Lara Andrews. The million dollar arm. The million dollar arm. Wow. It sounds so good, doesn't it? How much would the insurance be on that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, fantastic. Again, Lara, thank you so much for joining us here on the couch today at Beyond the Dugget. It's been our complete pleasure, not just having you here today, but but what you do in and around the game. We're blown away by your White Sox career. You're 82 matches, something like 68 test matches within that. You've got 300 and, sorry, 239 plate appearances with a career batting average for the White Sox of 297 now that's phenomenal, and it's phenomenal for a couple of reasons. It's just the length that you've been in the White Sox 16 years to hold that average all the way through. Simply amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, boys. Uh, you know, looking forward to the next podcast um, and, and the next ladies coming on board. Um, you know, mana wahine hard. Continue. We're going to continue to. Um, promote our game and promote our sport and, and do what we can to advocate for our young people coming through um, and shout outs to the to the boys and the men out there who, who did their podcast man you know you guys are all inspiring and um, I'm really grateful to be uh, selected as, as one of them and um, yeah look, love it thank you
Well, we're looking forward to it too, Lara. We've got plenty of ladies coming up, that's for sure, especially leading into the Olympics. Uh, and uh, But the one that will tip us off will be Mark Porteous, the umpire. He's heading away. He'll be the sole New Zealand representative uh, to the Olympics in the softball realm, uh, that is. So we're looking forward to that. And But, but also then touching base with Coach Romy and, uh, and of course, our past superstars that, that represented our great country in 2000 in Sydney. So really looking forward to, to getting them on the podcast. Next week coming up, though, is the battery coach uh, for the Golden Home Black Sox uh, and Patrick Shannon. Your thoughts on Patty? Oh, he's the man, that batting stance. Uh, I remember that as a kid watching and thinking, what is he up to, yo? And then, boom, laters. <laughs> yeah, wicked, eh? The Paddy stance. <laughs> I've got it in the, in the next video, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Well, we hope he does uh, good things for the God knows Black Sox, Paddy, and obviously a great career in himself, and uh, see what he does uh, now in the, the coach's circle. Find out how good, he, how good he can be on that side as well, eh? <laughs> Uh, we're looking forward to it. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Lara Andrews, White Sox uh, captain and still the captain. 16 years in the making. It has been what a wonderful career. The f- one, of the, uh, one of the early pioneers to play at a university in the United States. And boy, oh boy, does she make her own uh, luck. Well, she does, but then she takes it with both ends. Also the first New Zealander to play professionally as well in the United States. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I'm super stoked and um, mad respect to you guys and, and all the best on your journey. Um, getting this beyond the dugout, up and out, and, and um, you know, famous and all. Thank you, love. Appreciate <laughs> it. Fantastic. Oh, Lara Andrews, dude, what a story. Mate, that was awesome. And I know I, I use that, that that term quite freely, but um, that was another another episode. I know we're only three deep here, but I sat there as a fan and just took so much in, mate. The way she talks, the way she, um, with, uh, yeah, just pure conviction of what she's saying, and, and uh, mate, it was awesome. Well, another athlete from New Zealand with great whānau support. Um, but the cool thing is, is just listening to her, she she took a little bit of everyone along the pathway. She was open to learning her whole life. Yeah, and asking those questions, you know, and, and putting herself out there. Like, there were opportunities, definitely, but um, if she didn't put herself in those opportunities or at least in the environment to be in those opportunities, um, she might not have got them. But the fact that she saw those chances and took them with both hands and made them as well, um, a real student of, of the game and, and, and her, her life. You know, she's, she's almost taken life lessons left, right and centre and, and, and which has created that pathway for her. So, yeah, special. I think that's one thing that the uh, both male and female athletes could take from Lara Andrews is not what she's done, but how she's gone about it. And, uh, you know, writing her own CV and applying to universities. <laughs> On a flip phone. Yeah, a flip phone <laughs> recording. Uh, but then, um, you know, uh, in a break between the finish of a junior college uh, to going away with the White Sox to Venezuela... She reaches out to you know, a teammate there in New York, heads up there, and, and, and that was the, the difference of getting into a Division One team 
which also led her into becoming the first uh, professional New Zealand player. With those extra yards, eh? Already been in the in the system for so long, and and as she said, it's it's easy to get there, but it's harder to stay there. And she saw that early, and she was taught early about those those lessons that that vets had passed down to her. And and she put in the hard yards, you know, going to um, with Mel Gettings to do that training before yep. Venezuela, and then what well, uh, the coach walking past getting a sandwich for lunch, and then putting it through the paces, you know, right place, right time, but. A lot of hard work and dedication um, probably set her up for that moment. Motivated herself, motivated her teammates, and uh, has created an amazing career, which is not finished. She's got plenty of softball heaps left in her, and I'm excited to see the stuff outside of her playing in this uh, balances better program um, and what what the role is to supporting youth and sport and, and in those advantages. What she can do in that realm is going to be quite exciting to see over the next you know, three to five years. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, the, and, and the stuff she was talking about, you know, the, the parent, parental units uh, involved in sport really really resonated with me. Uh, one, uh, my father and my, my mum coached me through right through until my adult. And two... <laughs> Lara's dad coached me as well. So, um, you know, to see those findings and, and uh, how that really can put put uh, on a child's life um, as they develop, I'd be really interested to see that stuff. Really excited for next week, uh, 7th of May, Ooh. next Friday drive time, will be Patrick Shannon. Yeah, Patty Shannon. Oh, mate, this is going to be cool. Yeah. It's going to be very cool. An amazing player, plenty of talent, the, the stance, Characteristics, the but just the just, home runs, the home runs. Yeah, have you heard of those about those two? Yeah, man, how <laughs> phenomenal is that? Well, we might bring them up next. Yeah, week. the two uh, world championship finals he makes, he hits a home run in each one, tie up the ball game. I mean, that's an amazing footnote in his career. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing where that stance came from. This is legendary, isn't it, Patty Shannon? You know, um, he was such a great catcher and hand hitter of his time. But um, yeah, definitely unique and, and left his his um, his start his mark on the on the game for sure. Yeah, his mark on the game in New Zealand <laughs> for the Black Sox, but also in the ISCs. Ten time world, four time champion, Hall of Famer, and that's just ISC. That's impressive. That's just ISC. Just ISC. <laughs> So, yeah, Patrick Shannon, next Friday dry time. We're looking forward to that one. That'll wrap us up here for episode three of Lara Andrews. Hope you've enjoyed the drive home and your time with Beyond the Dugout. It's been our pleasure to bring it to you. Thank you, guys. We'll see you all later. I've been Jason Goobies, a.k.a. Chopper, and Damien Collins, of course. It's me. Bye. Beyond the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Do it for your teammates, do it for the fam Do it for your city, true ballers understand You gotta work together, you gotta find a way Put your body on the line and make that play Beyond the dugout, lace them up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Beyond the dugout Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout. Beyond the dugout.